Time once again for Second Helping, your first choice among college football podcasts involving the greatest conference in all the sport. That's right, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, back with you, joined by, of course, my good friend, longtime colleague and partner, Brent Beard of First Coast News and also a longtime voter in the race known as the Heisman Trophy. The show, as always, brought to you by Peter Brook Chocolatier, the champions of chocolate and the champions of SEC football podcast. Second helping seems uh, appropriate enough. And, Brent, as we bring you on here, we're fresh from the trip to Gainesville, Florida. Last Saturday, the Crimson Tide of Alabama escapes the swamp. Nobody gets out alive, they say, in Gainesville. <laughs> But Alabama felt pretty fortunate given the way the final three quarters of that game uh, played out there at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Boy, it was a but uh, basically two games and one uh, when Alabama's up twenty-one to three, and Trav, the the media, the fans all thought that another score, even a field goal, maybe much less a touchdown. Bama would have been up 24-28-3, and that place may have halfway emptied out at that point. But Florida, uh, to their credit, found that they could run the ball and they could stop the run, uh, which made a humongous difference. Uh, Bama still uh, able to hang on, uh, but and I'll say not just for Bama, but with both teams, did some really good things. And needless to say, Trav, a lot to work on for both teams, too. Yeah, I, I walked away thinking, man, we learned a lot about both these teams today. Alabama, defensively, despite all of its veteran talent, yes. still not always a dependable group. A couple of situations in that game, you touched on one there in the second quarter with a 21-3 to lead. Alabama with multiple opportunities to stretch that lead to 21, maybe even, as you outlined, 25 points, wasn't able to do it. That allowed Florida to sort of collect itself and refocus and center on that run game and giving the defense some confidence as it piled up a few stops there in the third quarter as well. And then also in the third quarter in a 28-16 to game at that point, Florida, after the miscue on the Alabama kickoff, has the football at its own one-yard line facing third and ten and is really settling for a short pass yeah. underneath in front of the sticks. Alabama safety DeMarco Ellums is not able to make the play there, make the tackle, make something, pass, break up anything. And when Florida doesn't have to punt from deep in its own end there in the third quarter, perhaps giving Alabama the short field, and then even in that position, a field goal even, makes it a 31-16 to game. If they go in the end zone, it's 35-16, and it's pretty much over. But you said it. Give Florida credit. When they needed to make plays, they did it from the second quarter on. Really got the Alabama defense on the ropes in terms of that run game. Ran for, gosh, 170 yards or so in the second half. Averaged around seven yards per carry. So uh, a lot of good things for Florida coming out of the game. I still think some good things for Alabama, too. Understands that it has to finish, finish games, whether it's in the second quarter, the third quarter, or the fourth quarter in a more effective manner. And, you know, at the same time, we talk about everything we learned about these teams, Brent. You look at these next two or three weeks, you don't want to make any 
true hard and fast determinations because with what both teams have coming up in the next two or three Saturdays, we're still going to learn a whole lot more, aren't we? Well, we are, and, and I think one of the most crucial Saturdays coming up is that October the 2nd, Saturday, with Alabama entertaining Ole Miss and Florida going to Lexington to, to face a, uh, a much improved Kentucky team. Uh, and, and Trav, frankly, for Alabama, uh, the reality is, to me, they're, they're virtually their whole season's at stake uh, I'm not trying to be dramatic with this, but it's just a situation in October with Ole Miss, A&M, and Mississippi State, and then they uh, come back home to play Tennessee. Uh, that uh, look, the we we always used to say it will be decided in November. Uh, we can get a lot of decisions made in October, aren't we? I think so. I think you said it. I think those back-to-back Saturdays. For Alabama, October the 2nd with Lane Kiffin and the Rebels visiting Bryant-Denny Stadium. We know now that will be a 3.30 Eastern kickoff on CBS in two Saturdays. And then the very next Saturday, expected to be a primetime matchup on CBS, Alabama and Texas A&M. Now we'll see because A&M's got a matchup with Arkansas coming up this weekend. And we'll get more into this Saturday's games later in the week with our second podcast of the week, but a divisional Saturday in a lot of ways shaping up in the Southeastern conference, but back to Alabama and Florida, uh, Brent, you know, sort of lost in the narrative is the fact that Florida never had the football with an opportunity to take the lead in the game on Saturday. So whereas we're quick to heap all the credit, credit and praise on the Gators and deserving of a lot of that. You also have to give some to Alabama because it showed some chin of its own, especially for an inexperienced offense when it needed to answer there, especially in the third quarter, Florida cuts it to 21, 16 Alabama answers with a touchdown drive. Florida cuts it to 28, 23 Alabama answers with a, uh, a field goal drive. And in doing so, 13 play drives, which that Alabama defense desperately needed at that point. No question. Uh, And uh, I give a lot of credit, frankly, to Emory Jones, who was lustily booed by Gator fans. As you know, earlier in the game, what was really struggling, he kind of righted himself after they found out that uh, that they could run and they could also stop the run. Uh, uh, and I think Bama never giving up the lead uh, was humongous in that game. And frankly, I think Travis, uh, I don't, if, if they would have pushed the score to 28, three, 35, three, I don't know if they would have found out as much about themselves as they needed to find out if that had happened but and we've talked about the running and the lack of running. Uh, I think one thing that definitely concerns Nick Saban at this point, uh, Alabama, one twenty-one of one thirty in terms of penalties. Something that's going to be cleaned up uh, <laughs> very, very quickly too. Yeah, they continue to be penalized at uh, too high of a rate. Special teams, though, for Alabama ended up being a bright spot. It was kind of overlooked and. Not that they produced a non-offensive touchdown for a second straight week, but James Burnup, the freshman punter, did a nice job considering the situation. 
Will Reichert continues to be rock solid, and we learned once again, extra points aren't free. Ooh. That was really the difference in the game, similar to the 1999 matchup there in the swamp between the two teams. And, uh, you know, Alabama's kickoff coverage, punt coverage units uh, were just better. Uh, Florida Ooh. overcame the major kickoff return uh, miscue to, to end up going 99 yards, but that easily could have finished the game for Florida right there in the third quarter. Yeah, it really good. Uh, the, uh, I think the other thing that uh, has confused and bewildered some Alabama fans uh, would be they are – uh, I mean, these these linebackers certainly, uh, without going through the list, you've got a lot of freshmen and sophomores in this group, but you've also got a lot of veterans. And this, some you touched on earlier, Travis, uh, is the question, and I, and and you can imagine what this week's practice is going to be like going into the Southern Miss game. Uh, and uh, Nick Saban wants these guys in position to make plays and to be able to make these plays, bring guys to the ground. These were all things that were uh, that, that have obviously stirred up a lot of talk on talk radio is this mixture of, uh, of very talented youth, but yet uh, a lot of veterans in that Alabama secondary, particularly Travis, who right now, for whatever reason, aren't making the plays we thought they might. No, it, there were wrinkles from Florida. Give Dan Mullen and the Florida offensive staff credit, especially Absolutely. with the option play that confounded Alabama's front seven for much of the day, much of the game. But it wasn't just wrinkles. It was base Dan Mullen run plays that gutted Alabama on occasion. And for an experienced defense, and yes, there is some youth on that defense, but hell, its best overall player is a sophomore in Will Anderson, and he yeah. played lights out. He was he the did. SEC co-defensive player of the week. So you can't point at youth for the way things sort of got away for the Alabama defense. You have to look at some guys that now are in their third or fourth years yeah. in, in the program, or at least at this level. Even if you consider Henry Toa Toa as a transfer, a first-year guy, he's a two-year starter previously at Tennessee. So absolutely some hard questions that need to be asked of Alabama on the defensive side of the ball and you know we'll see how they respond I think they get a needed break this week we wouldn't have mm -hmm. said this in some previous years no. about Southern Miss but Southern Miss unfortunately for Eagle fans not Southern Miss from the Brett Favre era right now so still trying to sort of rebuild that program Alabama should be fine this Saturday but I'm interested to see how Florida handles the quote-unquote success because Coming out of that stadium Saturday night, it felt almost like Florida won the game. And the post-game reaction by the fan base and Dan Mullen and you know this, well, we played Alabama close, this moral victory type of malaise, as I would call it, because I don't think that should ever be the case at Florida. Mm. Uh, we've seen, too, where games against Alabama, even wins over Alabama, can be to the detriment of the the team the next week uh important for florida not to allow this game to beat them twice i guess is what i'm saying with tennessee coming to town yeah yeah absolutely and, and again kudos to guys like malik davis and aquan Wright, damian pierce we said they had a good running back room and they really showed that and a lot of people including including uh uh cole kubelik mentioned that this might have been the best 
Gator offensive line game in four and five years. I, I thought that was interesting, but the bar wasn't too high to be uh, fair. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, it yeah. wasn't, was it? No, it didn't take much no. to clear that one because of Florida's offensive line woes in previous years. But I agree. I think that uh, that group played extremely well, and you know Alabama for whatever reason didn't have the adjustments, or at least they weren't being executed. And uh, you know when you got a good thing going, stick with it. And that's what Dan Mullen did on Saturday. And again, yeah, Florida, how does it handle this? Does it really use it as a springboard? Or do we see a team that used so much, Brent, on Saturday that maybe it it muddles around with Tennessee? Uh, What, Florida, 20-point favorite, I believe, in the game coming up? Uh, yeah, and, and uh, Trav, I, I think this game will be closer. And again, but we'll look at it more if Tennessee really had resolved uh, some issues at quarterback uh, at this point. Um, I, I mean, Hooker, uh, him and Hooker, and <laughs> at this point, Joe Milton have kind of rotated a little bit. So I think that's certainly an advantage to Florida. But at the same thing, uh, Travis Dan Mullen also knows uh, he is now currently 0-11 versus Nick Saban. 0-11. Oh, I will say this for Dan. The last three games have all been a touchdown or less. His last meeting with Alabama at Mississippi State 2017 was a thriller there in Starkville. Took a touchdown catch by Devontae Smith to win that one for the Crimson Tide. And then, of course, last December in the SEC Championship game, a six-point game, and then two-point game. Dan's been close. 2014, yes. he was close with Dak Prescott in Mississippi State in Tuscaloosa. Alas, yet to get it done. Let's like Elsewhere around the Southeastern Conference, Brent, from Saturday's action, Texas A&M, no surprise that the Aggies get a shutout. Uh, Aggies now have allowed just, what, one touchdown and, uh, or, well, the, 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 the Colorado game and uh, in in that game allowed just one touchdown and then a shutout of the Lobos of New Mexico. I guess about what you would expect offensively, not a bad performance from Zach Calzada. Stepping in there, of course, for Haynes King. Uh, got some contributions at the running back position, as we've grown to expect. Although, again, not exactly a dominant performance, I would say, on the ground. No, not at all. And now, Calzada has improved. Uh, he was 19-33, 275, still through a pick. Uh, now, Isaiah Spiller was better, close mm-hmm. to 200 yards. He is sixth in the league in rushing. Uh, Devon A-Chain, who A&M beat riders was to tell you, maybe even better than Spiller, uh, nine for 29 uh, at that point, too. So, uh, and again, as you said well, allowing only basically six points per game, which uh, is certainly important. Big, big, big game this week that we'll talk about later on. Uh, some some improvement, but I can tell you, Jimbo, I saw it last night on SEC and 60, certainly not pleased after that game. Kentucky, a little tighter than yes. maybe the Wildcats anticipated. And this is one of those games where you're coming off a massive Eastern Division win over a solid Missouri club the previous Saturday, and more of a dance with FCS Chattanooga than I'm sure maybe Kentucky fans anticipated. Had to play all four quarters in this one. Will Levis at the quarterback position once again, 
impressive stat line until you get to the turnover yeah. department, yes. a couple of interceptions, and I guess give UTC a lot of credit, mm-hmm. a run game that has been solid and certainly a strong one-two punch in the backfield for Kentucky, led by Christian Rodriguez, Kivasie Smoke. Uh, those guys didn't exactly light it up on the ground, and your favorite, the transfer from <laughs> Nebraska, comes up big in the receiving department for the Wildcats. Uh, it, you know, one thing I learned from you years ago is sometimes you've got teams that you, they've got so many weapons, you can't take everything away. Uh, even though coaches want to do that, uh, certainly what you said, concern about Levis, uh, four picks so far. <clears throat> and again, uh, he's got a little bit of a gunslinger mentality, so I get that. So uh, I think what he's done production-wise, uh, you can argue with that. Really surprised about Chris Rodriguez, but they keyed on him 13 to four, only 46. But again, Wondell Robinson, eight catches for 111 yards. So, uh, and, and I still think their defense is okay. They gave up more points than they wanted. Probably slept walk through this game a little bit. Still too many issues with that. <clears throat> but boy, Trav, I, I'm, I'm guessing Mark Stoops will take all this compared to last year, won't he? No doubt about it. And, you worry about Levis looking ahead a couple weekends, yes. maybe, with that Florida secondary and that Florida defense making the trip to Lexington. You don't want to be dealing with the interception slash turnover bug when the Gators come to town uh, in a couple weeks. Missouri takes care of business in an in-state matchup with SEMO. Southeastern Missouri State makes the trip to Columbia Big offensive day for the Tigers. Connor Bazelak, 21 of 30, 346 and three touchdowns. Missouri able to play a lot of people, which was important coming off that tough matchup with Kentucky the previous Saturday. Three different quarterbacks playing the game for Missouri. Tyler Beatty does his thing, just needs nine carries to pile up 81 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Just what the doctor ordered, right, for Missouri. Uh, no question um, that Basilak still continues to play well. Anytime you're 21 of 30, that that's impressive. Uh, Beatty, one of the better running backs in the league. Trav, my real red flag for them is, is that defense. Uh, now, they've got an interesting game that we'll talk about later with BC, but they allowed Southeast Missouri 28 points. I understand they pulled uh, a lot of their starters here, but I still think Eli Drinkwith – um, uh, wants to get that defense in better shape before they hit the, uh, uh, the the midpoint of this season and really get into SEC play. Tennessee got what it needed with an FCS opponent in the form of Tennessee Tech. The Vols, 56 to nothing winners. Hendon Hooker gets the go at quarterback, 17 of 25, 199, three touchdowns. He runs for another score and piling up 64 yards on the ground with Florida up next and Hooker the guy and Milton not going in the win over Tennessee Tech. You saw Harrison Bailey uh, in the game uh, at the quarterback position other than Hooker for the Vols. Uh, Is it sitting on Hooker's shoulders going on the road to Gainesville this week? 
I think it is at this point. Milton still is struggling. I, I mean, I, I heard one of the Tennessee beat writers, you and I know, talk the, the other day about uh, that they still have a real problem traveling with Milton, that he keeps throwing, overthrowing wide open receivers. So that's one thing that that obviously they've, they've got to work on, too. And, and listen, my question, I wonder in this game, particularly with Florida, and look, I, Hooker's got some pretty good legs, and I understand that, that you don't want to hold him back. But, Trav, is as erratic as Milton has been, uh, do you want to overuse Hooker in that ground game right now? Yeah, you got to be careful with that. That's something that Alabama has to balance, certainly with Absolutely. Bryce Young. You hear a lot from Alabama fans, man, they would love to see Bryce Young use his legs more as a runner, not just as a as a tool to get himself in position to make some throws. But, yeah, you have to temper that a little bit. The thing that you notice, the common denominator, it seems like, for 95% of the quarterback Brent, quarterbacks, Brent, that end up in the transfer portal is passing inaccuracy. Yes. Now, you'll have guys like JT Daniels and a few others that, look, they were in competitions that maybe relative to their competitors their accuracy wasn't up to snuff look at Jalen Hurts at Alabama for more on that Jalen wasn't a completely inaccurate passer but relative relative to the guy he was competing against to Atanga Vailoa he was and so you know you go to the transfer portal you see all these guys and a lot of times inaccuracy in the passing game is where it starts it looks like for Joe Milton that continues to be the issue at Tennessee. Moving on from Saturday's action in the Southeastern Conference, boy, I'll tell you, we'll see what happens this week with Arkansas and Texas A&M, but you can say this about Sam Pittman. In games against teams that Arkansas is supposed to beat, this guy's teams get the job done. They did it once again last Saturday in Fayetteville, 45-10 to 10 over a once-proud FCS opponent program in Georgia Southern, and so the table is set now. Arkansas has done exactly what it needs, and it still feels a little crazy to say. A top-20 team, Brent, in the Arkansas Razorbacks getting ready to venture into SEC Western Division play. Well, I think the thing that we're seeing with Sam Pittman at this point is he is a program builder, Uh, and uh, listen, he has changed their culture. He has changed their attitude uh, I mean, the numbers for K.J. Jefferson, Trav, jumped off the page to me, 13-23 for 366. Uh, uh, look, uh, Trav, have that'll, had three, that'll, that'll work out to a good QBR. You uh, know? <laughs> listen, if they had 366 in two games, much less one as of late, Traylon Smith continues to play well. And, and listen, how about this, that their rushing attack, Five players already who have at least 100 yards. Yeah, it's uh, look, we've said it before about Sam Pittman in Arkansas. He went in there and knew exactly what his vision was for his football team. And it was going to start at the line of scrimmage. Absolutely. First and foremost, as an old offensive line coach. And so that's where a lot of the best work has been done. And give him credit. He made some obviously excellent hires staff-wise. Kendall Bryles on the offensive side. Uh, Barry Odom, just a absolute home run hire yes. as his defensive coordinator. And so 
there hasn't been the need, at least as of yet, Brent, for this sort of second or third year reset that you see all too often at programs. That initial staff or that initial formula doesn't play out in the first year, year and a half, and then, uh-oh, by the end of year two, the heat is on, and now there's this reset, and typically that doesn't bode well for the head coach. It's maybe another year, two years, and there's a change at his spot, but Nothing like that for Sam Pittman to this point. Let's talk Mississippi State and Memphis, a wild one up at the Liberty Bowl. An SEC officiating crew goes on the road with Mississippi State. And in the postgame, Brent, we see basically in a letter of apology to Mississippi State (laughs) from the SEC for the officiating performance in a game involving – a member school against a group of five opponent on the road, Brent. What the hell happened up in Memphis? Just it, it just unbelievable. Uh, and the uh, it was not a good weekend for uh, SEC officials uh, to say the and uh, uh, again to uh, to hammer on your point a little bit more. Uh, that it was SEC officials in Memphis that did all this damage yes. uh, is what it amounts to. That that's the they had not one but two late game changing plays that they absolutely botched. The uh, Trev I, I, turn with two number fours on the field, right? Uh, uh, listen. Uh, there were so many things that went wrong uh, from an officiating point of view uh, in the punt return situation. Uh, you, you had an official that was basically blowing the play dead, and they basically ignored him with that. Uh, two, yes, two number fours on the field at the same time. I mean, uh, <laughs> look, look, uh, <clears throat> Travis, how how interesting was that? Uh, uh, was that uh, meeting that Zoom meeting with the officials on Monday Oof. morning for the SEC? The tough one. That's Ooh. a tough one. Yeah, if I was on that crew, I probably would have. Uh, I probably would have claimed no internet service. You know, on yes. Monday morning. That way, I could have avoided maybe that Zoom. That one probably didn't even wait till Monday. That one probably went down on Sunday. So uh, yes. 31-29, Memphis gets it done. Again, give Zach Arnett's defense a lot of credit because this was this is a prolific Memphis offense, and it took two non-offensive touchdowns, essentially, for Memphis to get over the hump. 67 pass attempts for Will yeah. Rogers yeah. of Mississippi <laughs> State in the game. Now understand – a lot of Mike Leach's offense, when you look at pass attempts, they're essentially runs mm-hmm. because you've got running backs like Marks and Johnson combining for 13 catches in the game. Uh, but not, again, a, an offensive performance uh, that, that, that Mississippi State quite needed to get over this hump, uh, especially when the offense contributed to Memphis's point total with a fumble return for a touchdown. Then you have the wild punt return for a touchdown and uh, results in a two-point loss for the visiting Bulldogs. Uh, also, uh, Will Rogers, uh, can we see a show of hands, Trav, on uh, Interstate 95 uh, of who leads the SEC in passing? That, that will be one of Will Rogers. Georgia takes care of business at home against the South Carolina Gamecocks. Both teams entering conference play last Saturday at Sanford Stadium in Athens. Dogs pretty much breeze to a 40-13 to win 
over Shane Beamer's club, 26 to 6 at the half, 14 points in the third quarter for the Dogs, and they cruise. And this is a Georgia team once again with JT Daniels back in the saddle at quarterback, 23 of 31, 303, three touchdowns. He and Stetson Bennett were intercepted in the game. And a balanced approach at the running back position. Kendall Milton uh, with White and Cook and those guys uh, combining for over 160 rushing yards in the game and a couple of touchdowns. Offensively, I got to think Kirby Smart likes what he continues to see from that side of the ball. Uh, There's no doubt. And these guys are slowly getting healthy, too. Karis Jackson took his first offensive snaps of the season at wide receiver. That's important. George Pickens, uh, I thought it was interesting. The media were allowed last week to watch practice, and they saw some some vast improvement in, in George, and he's not ready to play yet. Uh, look, my other man crush, and I'll admit this, is tight end Bronk Bowers, uh, who is – First at Georgia and 10th in the SEC with 203 receiving yards. Boy, oh boy, uh, if you wanted to get a guy that kind of came out of nowhere uh, to, to some degree, Trav, to, that, that, that you have to have guys step up uh, at tight end when your wide receivers are hurt, and Bowers has done that, hadn't he? Been a revelation, no doubt about it. And we wondered from the South Carolina perspective about the quarterback positions of Nolan, Luke Doty, Doty makes his season debut 13 to 26, 153, a touchdown and an interception. So perhaps if there's a silver lining for South Carolina coming out of this game, it's that it appears as if the Luke Doty campaign is well underway moving forward for the Gamecocks. Uh, also want to mention that uh, I think once the Gamecocks and get Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, playing better that's going to make a difference josh band has really stepped up for them uh caught three passes for 128 yards but still that georgia d trav is the uh uh whoever they play right now that's gonna be the dominant unit on the field uh they've certainly did it again and i give kirby credit he said stop their rushing attack because we can take care of the passing attack and that's what they did yeah pretty transparent comments i would say from shane beamer in the post game when asked about the georgia defense and what makes them so difficult to deal with and he basically said well they got 105 stars um which he's not lying but i also believe there's a point where you don't want to sort of throw your own roster under the bus um again he it's, it's honesty and we love it uh but it was uh it was very interesting to hear from shane beamer in the post game Saturday night. It is Second Helping, presented by Peter Brook Chocolatier. Second Helping, as always, coming to you from the Southern Ale House Studios. Southern Ale House. Eat Southern, drink Southern, be Southern, Southern Ale House. Next time you're in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, trust me, right there in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa, you're going to find Southern Ale House, whether you want plate entrees like a Center cut bone-in pork chop. Maybe you want an outstanding burger. That Southern Ale burger is going to knock your socks off. The very best chicken sandwich you'll ever put in your mouth at Southern Ale House. The Yardbird, Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Moving on from last Saturday's action involving Southeastern Conference teams, 
Brent Beard. I'm Travis Ryer. Brent Auburn traveled to Happy Valley. Left a little bit unhappy, although there was, similar to almost Florida, coming out of the matchup with Alabama, some positivity after the Tigers fell by eight to the homestanding Nittany Lions. Well, I give uh, Brian Harson a lot of credit. I, I mean, he's slowly changing uh, the, the culture there. As we have mentioned, I think they're more physical. Uh, I, look, I'm not sure the defense has missed, has missed that much. Uh, I give Derek Mason a lot of credit with what he has done. Uh, look, the, the, I think the real question there is, uh, Trev, tell me when – uh, when you've got two yards to go uh, and it can make the difference in the game, why do you throw a fade pass to the end zone when you've got Tank Bigsby in the backfield? Yeah, and that kind of flew in the face of who you think Brian Harson Auburn is going to be. Similar to Sam Pittman, physical run game, right? That's Absolutely. the identity that you're going to have as a program. So kind of went against their own identity a little bit there. Uh, the fade in that situation, especially into the boundary, like it was, I didn't really like it all. I don't like the fade down there anyway, but no. uh, a slot fade into the boundary, uh, I really don't like. But yeah, plenty of uh, second guessing also to come from this game. Jarquez Hunter, though, the freshman running back, continues to be outstanding in support of Bigsby. You know, Auburn ran for over, I guess, 200 yards or right around 200 yards in the game. And if I had told you that going into Saturday night, you probably would have really liked Auburn's chances. But once they got behind uh, in sort of chasing Penn State, you weren't so crazy, I'm sure, about the chances of Bo Nix getting it done on the road. No, absolutely not. And uh, again, Nix on the road – uh, 21 of 37, 185, zero interceptions is one thing that helps that. But, Trav, the thing that, that, that jumps out at you is these Sean Clifford numbers, uh, 28 of 32 for nearly Amazing. 300 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, he was exceptional to say the least. And uh, he had a big ejection there in the fourth quarter. It was the Kobe McLean, yes. the linebacker for Auburn, going out. That couldn't have been um, – uh, more poorly timed for that defense and yeah, give Clifford a lot of credit. He was outstanding for James Franklin's team in the win. As we move on here from last Saturday and we talk about LSU getting a much needed win and really a strong performance, especially on the offensive side of the ball for an LSU unit that you kind of anticipated big things from going into the season. Hadn't really seen that through the first few weeks, but uh, Max Johnson uh, showing you some good things and maybe another maybe another target or two starting to emerge to go along with Keyshawn Booty. Yeah, no doubt. Who, by the way, six touchdowns and has 223 yards uh, receiving. Uh, they did play better, but the, the, the problem is, Trav, another really unfortunate injury. Andre Anthony, uh, six-year senior defensive end, who is really coming on, uh, actually got a scoop and score, uh, 33 yards, uh, and then unfortunately, major knee injury, and he's gone. So uh, uh, listen, uh, it, it, this is this has almost been the LSU trend before the season, Trav, now and during the season. 
Deion Smith and Jack Beck come on to help out Max Johnson in that passing game. Smith, five catches for 135 yards, two touchdowns for the freshman. Jack Beck, five catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Booty did have a touchdown reception on just 44 yards, but Max Johnson needed that kind of game. 26 of 35, 372, five touchdowns for the sophomore quarterback. And so it is LSU with some divisional business to take care of on the road this week when it travels to Starkville in a game that we'll preview for you coming up here on second helping in a couple of days. So maybe a psyche helping win for LSU at home over Central Michigan. Elsewhere, Ole Miss in a late night special because of weather late, late, late night with Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin after dark. You never know what you're going to get in that scenario with Lane Kiffin. But the Ole Miss offense, once again, very explosive, very productive, and producing 40 first-half points. Tulane scored a good bit in those opening two quarters itself, but Ole Miss with a shutout there in the second half. And the Rebels, Rebels looking like a top-five team in the Southeastern Conference, if not maybe even better than that. We'll see. Uh, yeah, with a week off before going to Tuscaloosa next week, uh, I, I I could throw in a lot of names here, but this stat just stunned me, Travis, but it's not really surprising when you think about it. Ole Miss has gained 600-plus yards six times in 13 games under Lane, and before Lane, the, the, they, had, they had 16 games of 600-plus yards, uh, all time in 1,209 games. That's yeah. stunning. Now, I'm going to say this. Lane's, Lane's very good. Don't get me wrong. Lane inherited the perfect situation from a personnel perspective. Matt really Corral did, at quarterback. Jerrion Ely is the perfect Lane Kiffin running back. Yes. Uh, and Snoop Connor as well. That They have that sort of one-two punch that, Certainly gave Alabama a lot of problems in Oxford last year. No reason to think that couldn't be the case again uh, in 2021. The wide receiver position with Sanders and Drummond and Mingo. Uh, He brought in a a really good uh, tight end from Temple a year ago that that caused problems for the Southeastern Conference. So it is personnel-based, and it is a veteran offensive line on top of all that. So, uh, let's give credit to the personnel too, but no doubt, Elaine is unquestionably doing everything he can to keep Matt Corral in that Heisman Trophy talk. And with seven total touchdowns in the win over Tulane, Corral, in a lot of people's opinion, has vaulted to the top Brent Heisman Trophy voter, Brent Beard, of the Heisman Trophy race here in late September with maybe that matchup against Bryce Young yes. in a couple of Saturdays looming large where the top individual award in all of sports is concerned. Uh, and by the way, uh, we should say that, um, and again, I get, we give Emory Jones credit, but uh, it was brought out last week how uh, that Dan Mullen kind of chased Matt Corral away in order to get Emory Jones uh, you wonder what that would have been like. And, and speaking of Corral, Trev, does Corral get the credit he deserves uh, for his wheels as much as his arm? You know, he's very athletic, 
And I said last week over at BamaOnline.com on the round board, round table, the message board there, the premium message board, that if I was Florida, I would have spent some time looking at last year's old Miss tape because yep. personnel-wise, I thought Florida had some things to offer that Ole Miss did a year ago. Speaking more of the running back depth with Malik Davis, Damian Pierce, Wright, the rest of those guys, a mobile quarterback that can at least propose or present the threat of the run, some H-backs that you can do some different things with, similar to Kenny Yoboa a year ago, the aforementioned Ole Miss tight end. And so matchup-wise, there was the potential to do some of the same things. I think we saw some of that, but I think for Alabama, you won't be able to say in two weeks that you haven't been exposed True. to what you're about to see, at least in some form or fashion, because I think just from a personnel perspective, Florida gave Ole, uh, gave Alabama some of what Ole Miss will in a couple of Saturdays. So Ole Miss continues to roll as we wrap up our recap of Southeastern Conference play from over the weekend, we thought maybe the Vanderbilt Commodores could make it a streak at two in a row. It was not to be. Stanford comes in from the Pac-12, takes out the Commodores 41-23. to ah, Ken Seals at the quarterback position, 16-37. of for just 120, that's 3.2 yards per attempt, a touchdown and an interception. Ran the ball pretty effectively yeah. when you look at this Ole Miss run game, but defensively, just not good enough. Tanner McKee was very efficient for the Cardinal through the year, and uh, Stanford was able to run the ball in its own right, Brent. Uh, yeah, and by the way, Vandy did well, as you mentioned. Uh, a great name here, Rocco Griffin, <laughs> 19 for 107, and then uh, uh, Raymond Davis, uh, 76. I mean, you can see some improvement uh, in, in Vanderbilt after that uh, just abysmal opener. Uh, so uh, hopefully at least incrementally that, that will continue a little bit. Uh, and we'll pre- preview this in a few days, uh, but but one thing's for sure, it won't happen this week. So as we wrap things up on the latest edition of Second Helping, Travis Ryer alongside Brent Beard, we are going to introduce our SEC Power Rankings. We wanted to let things play out over a couple of three weeks before we issued the initial rankings. We're ready to go. Heat Pizza Bar presenting. The second helping SEC power rankings following week three of our college football season. Heat Pizza Bar, another great option in the Tuscaloosa area specifically. Downtown Tuscaloosa, Government Plaza. That's where you're going to find Frank and the crew. Some of the very best pizza you'll put in your mouth anywhere. Trust me, I've been to Chicago, been to New York, been a lot of places. If I could pick one pizza one specific pizza, it would be the Thai chicken pizza at Heat Pizza Bar. And on Tuesday nights, you can find those for just 7 bucks, starting at 6 p.m. So here we go, Brent, the Heat Pizza Bar SEC Power Rankings. Let's start from the bottom up. And the aforementioned Vandy team, I think we would both mm-hmm. agree there in the number 14 spot. I've got South Carolina 13, Tennessee 12. Mississippi State 11. So before we get into the top 10, 11th, I've got Mississippi State. 12th, 
Tennessee, South Carolina at 13, and Vandy at 14. You see anything different for yourself where those four are concerned? Or uh, uh, very similar, but I've got uh, I've got Mississippi State, and then I've got Missouri. So that might be uh, a little bit of difference there. So you got Missouri 10, right? And Mississippi State nine. Yeah, gotcha. So we move into that top 10, as you heard, Brent Beard with Mississippi State at nine. I've got Missouri ninth. I've got Kentucky eighth, LSU seventh, Arkansas sixth, or maybe that's seventh. Maybe I've got that wrong there. But I go Missouri, Kentucky, LSU, and Arkansas. Uh, What do you see there through sort of the midsection before we get into the top six or so in this ranking? I'll tell you, some of that part was a coin flip. And I think the strength of the league oftentimes is overlooked as far as how strong it can be in the middle. Uh, obviously, Bama, Georgia, uh, the, the top echelon, but, but this middle section, I've got Kentucky before Auburn, but they could easily be switched uh, at that point. I've got Arkansas at uh, six. And then Ole Miss at, at five. Uh, but look, I, I, who, who in the world traveled to thought at this point that you'd have Arkansas above the middle of the pack? Yeah, I've got uh, Auburn in my top six for now coming off that performance against Penn State. That might be a little high. The Tigers uh, catch a scheduling break again mm-hmm. this week with Georgia State making the trip to the Plains. So still a lot to find out about this Auburn team. My top five right now, Ole Miss fifth, A&M fourth, Florida third, Georgia second, and Alabama in the number one position. What about your top five? Yeah, yeah, same thing. Uh, I didn't uh, deviate from that at all, uh, frankly. So, and again, a lot of that's going to be changed over the next uh, few weeks uh, with how this schedule is is going to be going to a tramp. Uh, you and I are doing everything we can just to keep up with this year's schedule and <laughs> and the SEC dropping 2022 on us uh, tonight at 7 o'clock. How about that? Yeah, Tuesday night, 7 o'clock Eastern, you're going to have the 2022 SEC football <laughs> schedule release. Never too soon, right? No. You know, the SEC with its schedule has almost become like landlords in college towns that want you to go ahead and re-up for the lease for 22, 2023 in September when you haven't even lived in the place you just moved into for a month. You know, they got it that way. They got it that way in the SEC and in SEC towns where real estate is concerned. Well, Brent, as always... It's been a lot of fun. We got another episode of Second Helping presented by Peterbrook Chocolates here coming your way in just a couple of days. A complete preview of the upcoming college football weekend where the SEC is concerned just a few days away. Brent, anything else before we get out of here? Yeah, yes. Let me end on this. College football playoff committee meets this week and they meet next week so we will see what comes out of that i I do believe it's going to expand when is it going to expand by how many will that be 12 will that be less Uh, we will stay tuned but just wanted to keep that in front of folks for them to be aware of how that's wait a minute the big 10 said 
<laughs> the Big Ten and the Big 12 and the other leagues said the SEC yeah. screwed all that up. Oh, yeah. So they screwed all that up. They put mm-hmm. the cart before the horse with the Oklahoma and Texas additions to the SEC. Now, we'll be, uh, we'll be interested to hear what comes from those, uh, those uh, skull sessions, I guess you yeah. could say, where the college football playoff is concerned. So for Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Second Helping Podcast, wherever you subscribe to podcasts. We hope that's where you're able to find us. If you haven't been able to do that just yet, trust me, we will be in all of those outlets very, very soon. Until next time, thank you so much for joining us here on Second Helping. We'll do it again very soon.